0: Welcome to Layer of Secrets podcast, a podcast exploring the sprawling caverns of gaming, hidden treasures of geekdom, and the unexpected, unexpected intersections of reality. I'm Ken Newquist, and I totally didn't buy yet another video game I don't have time to play. I blame
1: Chris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> I am David Moore, and I took a Zeppelin to sunny but cold California. I was actually quite surprised that it was not that much warmer than here in Indianapolis, Indiana. I was in that area, but I was in the lair most of the time. So I did not get to see much of the San Francisco area before I had to return. First things first, um, we have a new discord and Ooh. the link will be in our show notes. Uh, and we'll also be putting a link on layer So head on over, join up on the discord. Uh, we also have with the former overlord of the old layer of secrets, Chris Miller. He is, uh, he's running a cyberpunk book club called the neon library book club. And we're a decent ways in, but they are short stories. Uh, they're not like the novels and such that we're, we're doing They're not full books. They're, they're short stories. So it'd be easy to catch up. We have a, a section over there specifically dedicated to talking about it and anything else that we talk about on this podcast. There's a very simple set of rules. You'll read them when you join. And uh, as long as you don't break those rules, you are certainly welcome.
0: Be excellent to one another.
1: (laughs) Yes. It's kind of that rule. It's kind of that
0: rule. There are others,
1: (laughs) but generally speaking. (laughs) Yes. I understand you've been in the library though.
0: I have, I have. I have finished uh, The Obelisk Gate uh, by N.K. Jemisin um which is the follow up to the 5th season which I'm catching up to you you actually read it I think before I did or yes I don't know I read this over the summer and um it took me a while to like actually come back around and go hey wait I should talk about it cuz you know I think we both struggled with the first one uh, the 5th season uh, was a great book but it it has this awesome like post apocalyptic setting with some very cool magic mechanics involving geomancy I can't remember what they call it in the
1: book but um um it oh shoot I just had it <laughs> it's, it's not actually it's actually a real word um and actually a they're called origins but it's oh shoot you're looking it up you know, while I, i'm while i'm you know like trying have, to dredge it up you know,
0: the other problem is, is i only listen to these books so i never actually see the words as they're spoken yeah obviously so like i'm not reading reading i'm listening and so i think that makes it harder to remember the specific terms. But in any case, the first book was kind of jumped around from a temporal standpoint. Uh, it's told from the second person perspective, which took me a while to get my head around. Um, second time around, the timeline settles down. It's a much more straightforward from a, from a storytelling perspective. There's really only two PO point of view characters, if I remember correctly. Um, And, you know, I just kind of settled into the second person perspective much faster than the first time around. Uh, So there's a lot of good, like, world building and development that happens in this book. Some secrets are revealed. We understand, like, why the parts of why the world is the way that it is. And I'm really looking forward to the third book. I'm currently on a huge cyberpunk jag, uh, helped in part by Chris Miller. Um, And I have homework to do there. I'm behind on my reading for the book club. Um, but it was a great book. I really enjoyed it. I think it's a good middle book, especially if you know it's the middle book.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I <laughs> listened to all three on Audible, and they got me through many a walk, uh, which was good. I have always, for all of NK Jemison's books that I have read, the first book of the series, like the first chapter or two. I'm not sure because I've always listened to them, but like the, the first part of the book, I bounce off pretty hard. And then I'm like, I know there's good stuff in there. Let me try again. And then I'll get past it. And then it's, it's great. The second, I, I agree. The second book, after having gone through the first 50, 50 blah, wow. The fifth <laughs> season, the first book, the second book was much easier to get into. When I have gone into her books in the past, it's the first part of it seems like, look how strange this setting is and these people are. And so your your mind is trying to wrap your head around that. But once that happens, the writing also kind of settles down in terms of being able to just keep going with it. And and it's really good. I I really like it. I was still not able to find the name of that magic thing. Um, (laughs) It. That it is an actual word it has to do with geology surprise uh it has to do with geology um and i think like um like the tectonic movements and such but it's been a little bit
0: it has been it has been so i probably should have done more show prep and then i would have remembered what it was called <laughs> but in any case excellent book i recommend reading it um it's it, it's a good it's a good time venturing over into the game room <laughs> I really Uh haven't bought a new game yet. I really haven't, but I'm gonna. (laughs) Mm. Because GoldenEye is out for Switch and Xbox One. Okay. And I... Like the original N64? The original N64 GoldenEye is out for Switch and Xbox One.
1: You know, it's like by today, modern standards, it is... Like, that's not a... I would yes, probably I like, it's like <laughs> going back into the Atari world and, you know, the control systems there were not as polished as they could be 30 years later of game, 30 years of game development later. Uh, let's see. Gold and I, which I, I and friends of mine, we would all get, we would all gather around. I had the N64 Um, A friend of mine had an N64, but most of us lived near the apartment that I had at the time. And so we would all gather and we would play Goldeneye and Mario Kart uh, were the two games that we would play a ton of. We would occasionally play Mario Party, um, but did get a bit uh, sick of the, oh, this person is in last. All of a sudden they're in first and win the game uh, sort of thing (laughs) that happens with Mario Party. Um, so I'm trying to remember what that was. That was early two thousands, late, late nineties, early two thousands. I think it was,
0: I think it was late nineties. Let me, let me look in the, uh, I think it was late nineties. 1997.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The year Aaron and I were married. That's, that's why I know it was that I, I remember that apartment, which, so it had to be Late 90s, I think we stayed there to the early 2000s, but yeah. It was... Yeah, we used
0: to play it all the time after after playing D&D. We'd be like, you play D&D, and then um, we would either watch a movie, like some horror movie or something, or we would play GoldenEye until like 3 in the morning. Because That's pretty awesome. Because we were awesome. young and didn't have kids. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> so from a yeah. sheer nostalgia value, I don't care how terrible it is, I have to play GoldenEye. I need yeah. this game.
1: I, I'm trying to, um, I think golden. Uh, oh yes, it was golden. Eye was at the St. Louis science center. Uh, I believe is where I had played it. Um, and like, I tried to run around and it was, <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, it was a little janky. I, I think that's where it was. I, I had like tried it, tried to play it fairly recently. And I think that's where, that's the only place that I can think of as to be where, where it would. Would have been and so it just it just
0: came out you can get it as part of like the it's it's kind of annoying you have to, to get like this family plus expansion pack or whatever for nintendo if you do that you get access to the n64 emulator and uh um, a bunch of additional games uh, i think it also has like the sega genesis emulator um and some a whole bunch of additional mario kart mario kart tracks which i probably won't play um and then uh that allows you to play multiplayer online uh Xbox One version is going to be part of Game Pass, as I understand it. But you can't play it online. Weird. So there's local gaming only for Xbox One, as I
1: Okay. As I okay. But you got a new game too, right? I, I did get a new game. I actually got several new games. I, but I'm only going to talk about one. I have uh, Olympus <laughs> Flux. Uh, we were shopping for some birthday gifts for my nephew. They, they had played Flux in the past and and kind of liked it and so we got them uh, another another flux uh, I think it was like astronomy flux or something along those lines and I noticed that the brand new flux I think this is the most recent one is Olympus flux I've talked about it in the past games like this uh especially in the before times we would go to a restaurant and we would play a variety of Flux or other Looney Labs card games or other things like that. As long as there weren't too many pieces and we could very quickly clean it up, That was that's the criteria and it'd be right. fun. We would play this, we would order food, break this out, play it, food arrives, game's over, uh, unless someone had already won. You know, Flux is one of those things where you can win in less than a minute, or you can keep playing for a half an hour depending upon how the game is changing and, and the cards yes. everybody draws. So yes, I'm, I'm hoping to play this with the family pretty soon.
0: Cool. So uh, one last thing, just, this is like an FYI, it'll be old news by the time this podcast comes out, but uh zine quest five is coming. Uh, just as a mention, it's over at kickstarter.com slash ZineQuest. Uh, last year they did it and uh, they tried to time it with Gen Con which I think hmm. just like just didn't work. I think no. it overwhelmed GenCon news, overwhelmed the zines, and I don't think there were just the synergies that they were hoping that they were going to be there. So they moved it back to February. There was also a big controversy involving uh, Kickstarter's um, originally like full-throated move to blockchain technology, which they yeah. have now subsequently stepped way back from and said, "Oh well, you know, we're going to have an advisory group and like we're going to make sure that it's true to our values and all of this." So. Um, it sounds like they heard the community being upset with them. I can't speak as an expert. I have not delved deeply into the blockchain uh, situation with Kickstarter, but no. it's good to see that they're at least making changes or at yeah. least potentially listening.
1: I know that at least one fairly large game company of, of a game that will be of ga- several games. Uh, uh, they're, they were a set of game designers, and now I would say that they're may still do design, but they're definitely game publishers now. They uh, they left Kickstarter entirely because of the whole NFT and blockchain stuff. Um, yeah. And uh, in addition to, I think, a couple of other missteps that had happened with Kickstarter in the past, which I cannot think of what they are at the moment. But yeah, having having ZineQuest during Gen Con just seems like it would cannibalize... Like like everyone that you want to put money who you want to have put money into the Kickstarter is spending money at Gen Con and right. not next to a computer, <laughs> probably not looking at their phone. Well, not looking at their phone as often. Right. And so they're flooded with gaming. They're not going to look at Kickstarter for gaming during yes. that time.
0: So. I think, you know, there, there, Zine Month was a thing. I have not looked to see what was happening with Zine Month, if Zine Month is still an alternative to Zine Quest. It happened in February last year as an alternative to Zine Quest. Um, gotcha. more Zines, the better. I love buying Zines. I I can't wait to see what's out there. So maybe, maybe, I know we're we're tight for time in, in February, but maybe we can get out a uh, an extra bonus episode for Zine Quest if uh, we're able to pull together some stuff that we like. Gotcha. But in any case, Zines, they're fun.
1: Yeah. We do have a main topic, uh as we usually do. We don't always have a main topic, but we usually have a main sure. topic. Most of you are have probably heard of and by the time this comes out, are sick of uh hearing about the OGL and the crisis with with Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and Dragons. Um in fact, as we're recording this, they've already you know there's a whole bunch of stuff about like did the community win because OGL 1.0 A, I believe it is, is still in force. They're not going to do it. They've also put that same content out under creative commons, which is an excellent license. There's a lot of confusion about it, but it is an excellent license. It's been out there for a lot of creative work. It's been out there for uh, the open source software movement as well. Although most of those people use a, uh, a different license for that, but it's been out I've known about it for years due to podcasting and stuff. A lot of podcasts are put out under creative commons. There are several different versions of it, but it's meant to be human readable, not lawyer readable. Right. Most lawyers are human. I think, you know, (laughs) there that's been dubbed a win, but there's also nothing saying that this thing that D and D one currently is, if it becomes D and D 6.0, that they couldn't put a different license on that. There's nothing preventing that. So it may be a win for D&D 3 3.5 and 5th edition cuz 4th edition was a different license, GSL. Uh, yeah. So it may <laughs> have been all that, you know, it may be great for all of those, but the majority of people do not play 3rd edition anymore. You know, when 6th edition comes out if people go to 6th edition, There will be a decent amount that continue to play fifth edition for a while, but eventually they will either move to different games or they will move to sixth edition or as we're going to talk about both.
0: (laughs) All of the other games.
1: (laughs) Because as I look at you, I see uh, the the book strata of of D&D books, um, at least from second, third and fifth edition on your shelves oh, behind got, you we
0: got fourth there too we got fourth, fourth
1: as well okay all right yeah um <sighs> so somehow that geologic strata got had some upheaval and got <laughs> second and fourth edition got mixed together i should probably um,
0: reorganize them <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you you seem to have an entire shelf of third edition and an entire shelf of fifth edition where you have like a half shelf of second and fourth.
0: Yes. Yes. That's so, basically. It's all, it's a space thing. It was, it was really yeah. a, a matter of convenience that the fifth edition stuff's on the top shelf. Cause I use it the most often. So, yeah.
1: Which I find interesting because usually don't put the stuff you use most often in the hardest to reach shelf. I'm tall. Okay. Fair. <laughs> fair. Uh, we currently haven't thrown our two, our two cents in about the OGL. Honestly, it doesn't really affect us. We're not publishers. We we do stream, but we haven't streamed D&D and we do play D&D. We have talked about it. Ken runs runs and is in several D&D games, of which I am very jealous. The more we see about it, though, the more we want to help all of you out there. For whom, while D&D is your core game, uh, you might. Have a certain taste in your mouth, or maybe you're just at a point in your gaming life that it's like I want to try something different. There is nothing wrong if you were enjoying D and D, and continue. You can continue to enjoy it. I don't think it's going to stop you from playing. Nope. <laughs> it may, you know, depending upon how things go in the future, that that's a whole different story, and I'm not even going to speculate on that. If you enjoy it, this is not meant to yuck your yum. This is meant right. to say, hey. D&D is great. You have fun playing D&D and role playing and, you know, kicking down doors, taking their stuff or romancing the drawbridge. Oh, wait, sorry. That's Tiny Tina's Borderlands. <laughs> romancing the dragon, you know, whatever. Any of those things, if you have fun with it, great. But if you're looking for things like modern day superheroes, pulp adventures, Miskatonic, otherworldly horrors from beyond our realm uh D doesn't do that and so we wanted to talk about those different games
0: yeah i think so and i think you know just we've mentioned this before i think for my own gaming groups every time we've played a game that hasn't been dungeons and dragons it has improved our dungeons and dragons campaign so there is definitely a benefit in venturing out to see other things um and so that that's that's a good thing to keep in mind too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're going to turn this into a blog post because actually I, I had fun coming up with the chart. <laughs> <laughs> so basically the the format we're going to go with, I guess we'll, we'll alternate. We didn't really talk through that one, but uh, I think we can each speak to uh, these different pieces. But sure. uh, we're going to talk about if you want to play this, like the style of a game, then play this game because of this, but beware, right? So by way of example, I'll kick things off with Savage Worlds. Which everybody knows, I love. Got my Savage Worlds book right here. I would,
1: I would love to play that game. I have yet to play it, so yeah, it's it's one of those things that you and others talk about a lot, but have never right. actually played.
0: And I haven't played it in a while, but I I love it. I will always come back to Savage Worlds. It's great for high action, high risk games. Uh, you know, so if so, if you want to play a high risk, high a high action, high risk game. Savage world is the game for you. It's got this great dice mechanic that explodes. So when you, when you roll for a skill check or when you roll for damage, like dice can explode. And that means you can go from like being in this desperate situation, um, you know, facing off against the big bad to all of a sudden he's dead. <laughs> and as the game master, you're like, ah, oh, I guess, uh, I figured... cool way to go guys. You can be truly heroic. You can also have spectacular fumbles. Um, and it has bennies, as we've discussed previously. bennies encourage players to take risks. You can spend them to reroll dice. And so it, it's really got a great mechanic for encouraging people to, to do that kind of over the top action. When we were talking about our Elemental Evil campaign um, or Elemental Apocalypse campaign that we talked about in the last episode, Savage Worlds was definitely in the running from my perspective. I thought, oh, maybe I'll get the Pathfinder version of Savage Worlds and use it for this. But we decided to go with DD. Um, okay. It's bad. I would say it's bad for nuance and subtlety. So. You know, I think you like just with Dungeons and Dragons, you can do a lot with D&D. It's not like you couldn't run a horror game with D&D, but it may not be well suited to it. I don't think Savage Worlds is suited to a subtle game. Yeah. Savage Worlds is I jump off the building and I'm shooting guns at the bad guy as I do it. And I miraculously figure out a way to save myself on the way down. Right. Not Savage World.
1: <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and I don't know, running a horror game in D&D, there are certain like running a survival game in D&D. Um, like Goodberry immediately breaks it, you know.
0: Right. <laughs> like
1: like I tried, I actually did try to do that and didn't realize that Goodberry was like one of the very early, early spells. D fifth edition is very much fantasy superheroes. Like you yes. do amazing things. You can even fly. You do right. amazing things and <laughs> and you get punched down and you get like you get knocked out, but like the Chumbawamba song, you get right back up again. Only a little while, you know, an hour or maybe an eight hour rest, you are back to full, which is exactly. I'm not as familiar with fourth edition, but in editions one, two and three, that was not the case. And so it d is very different in that than it used to be. It still has a lot of the same feel as the earlier editions. Uh, it's partly probably, probably because why Ken and I like it so much, but. Actually, my daughter was rolling up a third level character today and had 21 hit points as a third level wizard. And that's below average. Wow. Because, well, she ended up putting because of her race and stuff like that, I think had a plus three constitution mod. Wait, no. Plus two constitution mod. Yeah, she had she had tons of hit points. First edition DD, you probably had like if you got max, you probably had four.
0: Yes. Yes. You know, a in most edition, it's Many of, of times. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it D is meant to get back in the action. I would say Savage Worlds is probably similar in that sense. You're not super struggling.
0: Yeah, I think it's easier to turn the knobs. Right. So you, okay. it's, it's easier to there's there's a there's like bloodthirsty rules and like there's there's different campaign setting switches that you can basically flip that make it harder to heal, harder to recover hit points. Generally speaking, gotcha. it's going to okay. be harder to come back from a thing than like when we were running my weird pulp adventure, the characters got up, beat up pretty bad and they were going to need to be they had to have like a legitimate like week of downtime. Now for a regular person, yeah, they would have been in the hospital for a year if they survived.
1: Right. <laughs> Right.
0: And it was weird pulp. So it was like appropriately pulpy in the recovery. Right. But um, generally speaking, you're not quite as, but you can also, you can turn that dial up, right? Like there's, if you're giving people more bennies and more ways to soak damage, then there's ways of fiddling with it. So it's got a, it's got a range, but it's definitely like, you know, more over the top high action.
1: Yeah. And in my head, I was conflating what I knew about uh, Savage Worlds with another, pulpy one which was hollow earth expedition ah yes and i played it a little bit we played it on the game master show years ago but speaking of another set of uh, another games with dials that you can twist and turn is fate so if you want like collaborative world building uh collaborative character creation with a variety of different conflicts um then you probably want to pick up fate or one of many one of fate's many settings so spirit of the century was the first fate game um i don't know if it's still in print i think you could probably still get in pdf but then they went from there and evolved the system like three more times Uh, it was originally based on the open game called fudge and it's dice which are six-sided dice but instead of one through six it's two pluses two blank faces and two minuses. You can simulate it with a regular D6, but you roll for fate, uh, for most of the fate stuff, you roll four dice and the pluses and minuses will cancel out, but basically it gives you a range of plus four to minus four. And when you roll those with your skill, you know, you try and hit a certain target number or, or a certain, they actually try to use, try not to use numbers as much. They try to use like your position on a, success ladder. Right. So like an amazing success. But so Fate was the first one, first major one. Uh, The Dresden Files was another one. Uh, And the funny thing about it is the Dresden Files was supposed to come out like they had the license for the Dresden Files because Jim Butcher was is friends with Fred Hicks, who is one of the uh, owners, founders of Evil Hat, who made who makes Fate. So they had the license for it. Um, there's a story behind that. I won't go into it. But so they but they said, we want to do the Dresden Files right, because they'd made a couple of smaller games like Don't Rest Your Head before and and won some awards. So they made Spirit of the Century. That's that was like their prototype to get to Dresden files. And then they made Dresden files. It did really well. And there, there's a whole section in there about creating the city that you're adventuring in. And then from there, they've opened it up to other designers and such to to build things in there. There's a, they have a fate core, which is a more of a generic rule system, similar to, I'll just, it's that one.
0: As I hold up the book.
1: <laughs> similar to Savage Worlds, you know, Savage Worlds can be used in a multitude of different, different settings. Fake core is the same and you can put it together with a cup with a bunch of different turn, different knobs and dials to customize the setting to how amazing you are or how much you need to struggle. Like, are you street level superheroes? They probably have a superhero setting. Are you like everyday people or are you more superheroic or pulp action hero people? You can dial all those in. Fate of Cthulhu was one of them as well, um, and it's pretty fun. It and it's kind of lower than Dresden Files. Like you don't, you have magic, but there's a severe cost to magic. I've told you about a bunch of the settings, but why would you want to play it? Each character has aspects. Um, actually, everything kind of has aspects, and it encourages the players and the game masters to tag those aspects for benefits during play. That along with the dials for creating your own setting if you want to do use those or you could just pick up a, an existing one makes it a really dynamic proactive player slash character sort of setting. Yeah, definitely. It's not super great for like crunchy mechanically complex characters. You don't have things like like you would in D&D of like this this feat and this, sk- this uh, skill with this class feature all synergize together to you know, make this super feature. You don't do that. That, that sort of character creation is not there.
0: You don't need a spreadsheet to run your character.
1: You do, and you don't, and you don't need a spreadsheet to run your character. I don't know that that was a but beware <laughs> the spreadsheet part, but <laughs> it was meant to be originally like Spirit of the Century is is meant to be more pick up and play. You know, you can take the characters that are there and and just play, or if you want to play uh, a good setting, you literally can. We have had first sessions of character creation. I like, it's like a setting, it's like a session 0.5, you know, like we all make up characters, but that's a whole, a whole session, but we had so much fun that it always feels like we just played. And then when you get into the game.
0: So if you are looking for a ton of mechanical complexity, Pathfinder's Mm -hmm. got you covered. So uh, here's, I'm holding up the Pathfinder second edition book, which I bought. I think a year or two ago I paged through it. I'm I'm not actually all that fluent on Pathfinder two. Um, I ran a Pathfinder one game for a goodly number of years. We did the second darkness adventure path Um, and we enjoyed it. Like, you know, if you like third edition, um, if fifth edition wasn't your cup of tea, you know, 2e streamlined some things. Pathfinder itself actually streamlined some things. The the whole grapple the combat maneuver mechanic got much better <laughs> in Pathfinder. We had lots lots of less confusion about how to grapple. Surprisingly, we did a lot of grappling in our Dungeons and Dragons third edition campaign. So, um, if you're looking for traditional fantasy inspired role playing with lots of complexity, can't go wrong with Pathfinder. And again, 2e does some streamlining, but you know it, it's still. Still crunchy the complexity may be too much for people who are looking for a simpler game if you're coming from 5e uh especially original pathfinder you're going to be surprised
1: (laughs) yeah it's (laughs) a lot lot of options (laughs) it's a lot of options a lot more crunchy um i have first editions i think first edition sitting back here somewhere on my shelf pathfinder was using the ogl from DD 3.0 3.5 that's when they said, Hey, we're going to fourth edition. Paizo was actually still publishing, I believe, Dragon Magazine when that stuff started to happen. Wizards was going to shutter the Dragon Magazine stuff or bring it in house. And so Paizo was kind of like, Hmm, how are we going to make money? Well, we have a lot of <laughs> we have a lot of people that write adventures for us, because I think they were also doing Dungeon Magazine as well at the time. That, yeah,
0: I, I'm trying to remember the timing of when the adventure pads started coming out. If they if they had transitioned to the adventure paths for three, I think they had
1: maybe, and then
0: four yeah. E like hit, they needed to feel like, and then the, the, the backlash against four E, like there's stuff I loved about four E, but as we've talked about before, it was definitely not for everyone. Yeah. And I, like that's my, my friends and I, we fled to star Wars saga edition and to pathfinder because we didn't want to play four E.
1: There was enough people that were like, that were like, I don't really like fourth edition. I kind of want to stick with third edition. And so Paizo went, hey, let's we're going to make Pathfinder. It's almost the same. It's like D&D 3.75, not quite four. And so if you want new content, come and buy our stuff. And uh, they're still around and they're still, you know, putting a lot of, lot of content out. So they, and they did a whole second edition, et cetera. So yeah. they're not hurting.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, two E, I know that in the, in the whole uh, debate over the OGL and um, what, what Pathfinders and, and Paizo is doing on their own with the work initiative, which maybe that's a future show. Um, mm-hmm. They did make changes, right? Like they have they've yeah. taken a, a, a more of a species based approach. Character creation includes backgrounds. Like it, they, they have evolved it from its D&D roots, but I think yes. you're still going to see a lot of D&D in its yeah. DNA. <laughs> yeah.
1: And actually, um, uh, what was it um, critical role, you know, hugely influential into bringing a lot of people into into D&D or at least into watching streaming D&D. They started yes. out with Pathfinder and realized very, very early on that if they were going to play on a stream, they needed a more streamlined game. And that's why they went from Pathfinder to uh, 5e because 5e is faster and easier to play and not super, super, super crunchy. The last time I played Pathfinder, it was still like playing a, th- a third edition d d combat, which can take a very long time.
0: Yes. So if you're good at it, you can go pretty fast, but yeah. if you know, people are kind of stumbling over the rules, it can be, it can be a bit of a challenge if you're not prepared, but moving on to the next game, I want to talk about our, uh, <laughs> your favorite in mind. Yep. If you want a big ass book,
1: <laughs> it's like, it, the funny thing is, is, I have never gotten past the level zero funnel. So I probably <laughs> have only used about this much of the book because you don't, I, I, uh, I like how it is super gonzo. It is very much inspired by old school rules, early, early D&D, early Gamma World. Um, but, it, but I do like how they layer on learning the rules because at the level zero, you have just the base stuff and you have just the normal polyhedral set. But then you get to level one, and you get some extra stuff and those extra weird dice start coming in at that point.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I don't know if we actually said the name of the game, I held up the book, but Dungeon Crawl Classics and Mutant Crawl Classics. um, They, (laughs) play it if you want gonzo fantasy role playing, you wanna roll funky dice, and um, you don't mind a high body count. This is a game in which you start with four zero level characters and most of them are going to die. Maybe even all of them are going to die. And your first level characters aren't that much tougher. I actually have made it to first and second level when I went to uh, Mepicon this spring. I actually got to play at higher levels and use the other charts, but it's cool. Most of this big, huge, thick book is actually given over to special spell tables so okay. if you cast Magic Missile, your version of Magic Missile is different than everybody else's Magic Missile, and oh, nice. it can manifest in different ways, right? So it that's where some of the Gonzo stuff comes into play. Like it's not just like the same effect every time, and so you, you have to look it up in the book, um, which can slow things down a little bit. But you know, if you if it's a, it's a good yeah. idea to prep ahead of time and know which spells you're going to be playing. But it's fun, it's fast, it's murderous. Um, it may be too brutal for some players. <laughs> And I know this is a pet peeve for some people. It conflates species with class, right? Okay. So you are an elf, and elves could
1: do this. Okay, got it. So which was very much like, uh, not just like it. Very much is basic D anD D, yes. Original basic D anD D, yes. and uh, Yeah, and and original basic uh, original Gamma World. You know, you were either a mutant plant, a mutant, hu- well, you probably later editions. you could be a mutant plant. You were either a quote unquote pure strain human or a human without any mutations, a mutant human or a mutant animal. Um, and they were never, ever clear, by the way, if you had like human like opposable thumb, like human hands with opposable thumbs as a mutant animal. Did you? Did you not? Who knows? If you
0: want to answer that question in a more uh, current game, Mutant Crawl Classics will also do that because it's it's the same exact thing, right? Like the the same basic inspiration. There's a few other yep. human-ish classes, um, but you are still, if you're a mutant, you're a mutant.
1: Now, you have you have a game that you just pulled off your shelf that uh, we're about to talk about that I really want to play but have never actually played it or, or Delta Green, which right, is Call of Cthulhu. Exactly, because
0: I have both of them on my
1: shelf. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Call of Cthulhu. Uh, so, if if you want a uh, investigation based horror themed game with a straightforward rule set, um, Call of Cthulhu is for you. Uh, you can explore the themes of cosmic horror, humanity's desire to learn things it shouldn't. Um, uh, also if, if you could play this, if you, if you want to, uh, if you enjoy playing in a modern or near modern era. So almost all of the scenarios are set in the 1800s, 1920s, or like the, the 2000s Delta green is, uh. The original game came out in the 90s, very much inspired by the X-Files and all the conspiracy theories of that time. (laughs) 90s, hold my beer. Uh, (laughs) The the 2000s have way better conspiracy theories. (laughs) I think they were more enjoyable conspiracy theories in the 90s. Like, I want to go back to- More
1: easily dismissed conspiracy theories. Um, Yeah. Like, more easily debunked, I guess is the better way to say it. But, like, more unbelievable-
0: but it's got a pretty straightforward mechanic. Um, you know, you're just, you're rolling percentages. It's It's got a skills-based mechanic. Almost everything is a skill check, and you're trying to roll under a percentage. And if you roll particularly well, you get a critical success. Very easy to play. You, unlike many of the games that we have discussed, uh, very lethal, right? It is entirely possible that you're going to run a scenario. Everybody dies. Um, and uh, there's a high chance of mental incapacitation. Uh, you know, different, you know, over over the years, it was originally sanity. People have moved in different directions, like Fate of Cthulhu moved it to Corruption, I believe. Right. But generally speaking, uh, you're gonna end up in a worse state than you started in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and the other thing uh, is that you it may entirely cause the end of the world because the mechanic, th- there is no mechanic in the game that ensures that players will find all the necessary clues. So I played at Gen Con once, We were playing like after the regular gaming at like two in the morning and the guys just missed the one clue they needed to find the monster and then the monster destroyed the town. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, (laughs) some of that is like, some of that is the system for sure. Some of that is how you run the system. And some of that with the, how you run the system is you're ignoring some of the system by by allowing that to happen. Yes. And Call of Cthulhu is one of those that's been around for a long time. I think they're on 7th
0: edition? Something like that. Something like that. Um, This is the one I had in college. Yeah, so
1: it's been around for a long time, and uh, I have often heard that it is either the first or second role-playing game that a lot of people our age— Got into because it was around at the same time as the early versions of Dungeons Dragons. When you went into the gaming shop or the bookstore, it was like D and D, and then there's Call of Cthulhu. So whichever way your hand was drawn, right? (laughs) That's the one you kind of picked up.
0: I think I think mine was Star Frontiers was my second game, but uh, Call of Cthulhu was probably the first game that I, I got and like okay wait i really want to play a lot of this i couldn't actually get anybody to play with star frontiers with me but yeah. call of cthulhu we played a lot of call of cthulhu in college so it was
1: very. Enjoyable. i'm pretty sure star frontiers was the second game and i think that that was basically because everything tsr was in one giant block and so it's like here's D D. <laughs> oh here's star frontiers what's that right <laughs> you know and then they, oh the, what's this gamma world thing over here and other things that were around at the same time, like tunnels and trolls, and other things like that, you don't find, you didn't find those at the Walden Books, B. Dalton, all of those bookstores that are now gone. They were mostly in game shops, which were just as rare back then as they are today. Right. <laughs> so, uh,
0: talking about m- mysteries, I don't have you. Have you played Gumshoe games? I have heard a lot about Gumshoe, but I have not played Gumshoe. So um, I have also not played Gumshoe, although of course I have bought books that are based on Gumshoe. Uh, I am currently holding up the Fall of Delta Green, uh, which is based on Gumshoe, written by uh, Ken Height, if I remember correctly. Um, sounds right. And uh, yeah, written by Kenneth Hite. Uh And it was part of the whole like Delta Green re- Renaissance when they came out with a new version of Delta Green based on the basic RPG rules from Call of Cthulhu. Um, this came out in near near the same time. And so the the the, the key to Gumshoe is it's an investigation game in which players are sure to make progress through the mystery. There is a mechanic for acquiring clues. You you are going to solve the mystery, right? How you get there is where things get interesting. And so there's no chance that the world's going to end because you didn't find the clue, because the mechanics encourage you to find the clues. At least that's my understanding. Um, If you want a traditional mystery where you're like really trying to puzzle things through, I don't know that gumshoe is going to necessarily be. I think that, you know, it's more of a role playing oriented mystery rather than you're you're puzzling out the mystery as players or you're relying overly relying on, I should say, dice rolls to do it. Now that having been said, that's based on a curse, my cursory understanding of gumshoe. I've wanted to play it for years and years and years.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it's one of those things. I, again, also having not played gumshoe, it may be one of those things where you go in and you find the clues, but that doesn't mean that you, your, you, your, characters and or players understand what those clues are so there still is a mystery you just happen to have all the clues to be able to solve the mystery
0: yes it's facilitating you solving the mystery is basically yeah. what it's coming down to so it's uh it's fun stuff uh, that it's most i think the, the probably the best well best known game aside from there was a core gumshoe release if i remember correctly was knight's black agents which i've heard of that uh, one too. you are uh basically hunting dracula Nice. Nice. (laughs) Which sounds super cool.
1: It also sounds a little bit like I don't know how much inspiration Brindlewood Bay took from Gumshoe, but that's another one where when you're playing, I mean, Brindlewood Bay is much smaller uh, with it. It's it's more like much more of an indie RPG. But if you are looking for the clues and it's very much not a mystery, you decide as the players who did the killing and then right. you make a roll to see if the clues, uh, you know, the number of clues give you a bonus to your dice roll. And if you make the dice roll, your guess is correct.
0: <laughs> right. It's a very different kind of mystery, right? Because like, yeah. you're figuring out as you go, it's actually quite hard as we determined.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. You, you it, have to it,
0: retrain it, your brain.
1: <laughs> you have to retrain your brain and be be much more just creative and proactive in, in things. And as a GM, I will tell you, you need to prep. Because there are a lot of NPCs <laughs> and you need to know about those NPCs and bring them to life. And that is the core of the game is is yep. role playing with those NPCs and, and searching and such. So and that also has me a little bit worried. And you're still invited if you are interested and have time for it there. But there's a group of us getting together to play Starforged, Forged, Iron Sworn Star which is another one. we're going to do the co-op method. Um, You can either play it solo, you can play it co-op, or you can play it guided. So guided is more traditional RPG uh, where you have a GM or maybe a guide. I don't know what they call it. Co-op, though, is uh, and by the way, this is total tangent from our list here. uh, But co-op mode is (laughs) there is no GM. Everybody sits down the dice like when something interesting is happening. That's when the dice come out and you figure out what happened and then you all continue to tell the story from there. It's very different. It sounded really cool. There's a lot of random tables aka oracles in there that you can, that you can use but don't have to if the if the story is fun and cool. But uh but we're going to play that this week. We're going to see how that goes.
0: Very cool. Very cool. I think I will be prepping for a scout retreat on saturday
1: <laughs> okay
0: so uh my my time as scoutmaster is dwindling down but it's not over just yet so not yet. Uh, i think okay. that's gonna be my thursday night but i can't wait to see what you guys do um so speaking of like changing the the game master role you want to talk about our, our next game
1: we played one of one of these uh they're f- the if you want a a crew based said a non-linear game as in Time doesn't have to be necessarily linear, but it encourages basically it encourages flashbacks and there's mechanics and that incentivize storytelling and risk taking. These are the forged in the dark games. Um, We played Scum and Villainy on on here. We streamed it. Uh, We had played game built Blades in the Dark a year or two before. And it's it's one of those games that, oh, I totally skipped over. The the one that it was originally going to be because you put in Star Starforged after that one. Um, oh, we'll we'll get back to the Powered oh, by the did. Apocalypse yes, games right. yes, yes. in a minute. Um, but Forge in the Dark games were <laughs> it, are a a branch, an, evo- uh, an evolution branch of Powered by the Apocalypse games basically the games provide uh, you might want to play it because the games provide some sort of baked in reason for the players to be together. Like they're in a gang, they're a crew on a starship, etc. cetera. They're focused on the action and not necessarily the hours of planning necessary to get to the action, which is part, which is one of the things that kind of threw us both in blades and in scum and villainy. If you're not sure how you got to a place, do a flashback, you know, or if there's, some sort of thing happening that has thrown you a curveball, call for a flashback, take a little stress, call for a flashback. The things that you might not want to do is you might not want to play it. If you like planning, if you like old school shatter run or old school cyberpunk planning for an entire game session, <laughs> figuring out which air vent to get in and deactivate the laser trip mines that are in there, all that, you know, like how to do all of that stuff. If that's fun, this isn't necessarily the game for you. Erin actually is, didn't like scum and villainy quite as much because she enjoys the making the plan as the rebel in Star Wars to go against the Empire. Um, you know, making those plans is a, is a big thing about it. It is kind of also the current hotness, which for... Uh some people may be a, a bonus. Um uh, some people may not like that.
0: So power by the apocalypse? Sure. Yep. So player-centric game focused on world building where the game master adjudicates but rarely rolls dice. My primary experiences with this was with Dungeon World and uh, but other things are Apocalypse World, uh Thirsty Sword Lesbians, uh just that's been a big big one. That was recently. a big one. Yeah. Um, Monster of the Week. And um I think it's notable because players drive the world and build connections amongst themselves and work with the game master to build out the setting. And the character playbooks provide a framework and rules for what each character can do. Right. And I, I think it's it's pretty cool. It's spawned dozens of games. I mean, there are so many different variants of Power by the Apocalypse games out there. The, the things we struggled with, um, the playbooks give you a great framework for playing a particular character, but it can feel a little limiting. So, so you have to be creative and how you're using moves because sometimes we would fall into the trap of, well, I do the attack move again. Right. And it's like, well, you know, I just, you just spamming the same result over and over again. But I think that's where the narrative comes into play and how you're describing your action. Um, The game master's role is a major mental shift because you're, you're really bouncing off the players and less being like the master puppeteer. Right. And, and you don't, you don't roll
1: dice. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What's, what's interesting is, with Powered by the Apocalypse is, yeah, the, the, you only, for those playbooks, you only, and same for the Forge in the Dark, you have four, six moves, you know? So sometimes they, if you're not careful, it can just seem repetitive. I'm using the same move over and over and it just doesn't become fun. So you have to, so it does in some ways encourage you to creatively try and use those moves in other ways. Yes. Interestingly, Ironsworn and Ironsworn Starforge are is also a Powered by the Apocalypse offshoot, and they add a ton of moves. You basically create your own playbook as part of character creation. Um, I got the, the PDF version, so I did a print and play, a print of all <laughs> the cards that you get. Um, I happen to have a, a nice color printer and, well, uh, nice—I say nice— it's not a very expensive color printer. It's a but it's I would have killed for it in college, <laughs> uh, but I, it takes cardstock as well. So uh, I printed all that stuff out. And as you go through character creation, you get a whole slew of paths that you can choose from. And then you pick, I think, like two to that. This is the background of your character. And so like you could there are. Tons and tons of different playbooks that are dynamically created in in Starforged, Forged. Uh, and so like it, you can definitely feel the roots of Powered by the Apocalypse in it. Um, but it, you've got a lot more moves available to you. And I think that might be part of its downside is you have a lot more moves available to you. Right. <laughs> and so like just keeping track of all of them and remembering all of them because they're not all on your character sheet. You know, you might have a move. There's like a kind of like a travel move where you're moving through space um, to go to the next your next point of interest. And, uh, you know, like there are different moves that are supposed to happen at different points in time in the story uh, or in the session. And I'm going to need some sort of sheet that that has them all. Right. (laughs) Right. At least until they start sticking in my brain.
0: So generally speaking the powered by the apocalypse games are not as crunchy as other systems but more crunchy than Fate. Um yes. it's also as you mentioned for uh Forge in the Dark it's the current hotness. Um there's a lot of it's very popular in in certain gaming circles. Um so that's a plus could be a minus. If I think if the biggest plus is for both of these is that people have heard of them as alternatives to D&D and the hype makes people want to play them. Yes. So I think um that's good if you're if you're looking for games that will help jumpstart your group's interest in playing something else, varied settings, lots of opportunities to try different things, and it's a very different mechanic, so all of these things can kind of incentivize you to jump to something else
1: yeah the if you have if you have a group, as Ken was saying, you know like people may have heard of it and and are like that piques their interest, and that's enough for at least a one shot uh, to see if you guys la- like it. But if you are looking for a group. Having it be the new hotness means that there there are people out there that are playing it, so that might enable you to find a group that plays it more easily. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. So if you're if you're looking for stunt based fantasy adventures, uh, check out Fantasy Age, also Modern Age. Um, these are posts uh, both published by Green Ronin. Um, it's their. It, it was actually the uh, the engine that drove the Dragon Age role playing game, which I'm holding up
1: right now. Ah, okay.
0: I actually played this. I have not played Fantasy Age and Modern Age. I've wanted to pick them up. Um, it's got a cool mechanic. So You roll three. So it it Dragon Age itself felt very much like an old school D and D ish type thing, but modernized enough with some interesting mechanics. So the key thing is there's a stunt die. And so roll three D six, one of which is this, this die that if it hits a certain number, it goes off. And that gives you a pool of points you can use to an act of stunt and so think legolas in lord of the rings right like you know normally he's just shooting bow you know shooting his bow off and like fighting with his sword and like blocking the attack or whatever but occasionally he like slides down the front of an olifant, or you know he's running up collapsing stairs now all of these things are impossible but that's okay (laughs) the stunts are not quite so overpowered at least as i remember them from from dragon age but it was a very cool mechanic we had a lot of fun for it a lot of fun with it um, and it kind of gave you the story and mechanical impetus to to break out of the routine, right? Like when a lot of times when you're playing a role playing game, like your character is just doing this like the same thing, like you're spamming your moves, right? I attack with my sword. I attack with my sword. Dragon Age gives you the impetus about every third roll, if I remember correctly, to do something interesting, right? That like, uh, lets you stretch your mechanical and storytelling legs. So that sounds cool. I think it's. It's worth playing if you're if you're if you're looking for something that has those, those kind of like fantasy roots that are, is going to scratch that D and D itch but give you some mechanical diversity.
1: Very cool. Very cool. We have a we have a game on here that I have never played. I, I have haven't heard, either. <laughs> I've have heard a lot of great things about it, um, both from friends and also from very well known and respected game designers. The weird thing about it, you know, I can put high heresy. I don't know that it's necessarily <laughs> heresy to not use dice at all, but it is definitely strange to me. Uh, and this is Amber Diceless role playing. Know a little bit about it, but it's also kind of like role playing PVP a lot of times as well. Like, yeah, like it, in yeah. Amber, the family doesn't get along with each other. Maybe and <laughs> so like in the books and that, that I believe carries through into the role-playing game itself.
0: That is, that is my recollection. And so you've got, um, it's interesting. And I, I have to say, I haven't, I haven't read through it in a long time. Chris Miller talks about wanting to play Amber periodically. I'm, maybe we'll just like finally someday actually do this. But as I recall, it starts with, you, you have your campaign and, the, and you actually do a bidding right like you're 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 bidding on points to build your character, and then um so you might I don't have the, the uh core attributes in front of me, but you might bid for strength so that you have the strongest character, you might bid for intellect so you have the most intellectual character, and when your characters come into conflict with one another, it's figuring out like how does strength beat intellect, right and the numbers are always fixed, so you may have a very high intellect, and so you're figuring out how intellect is defeating this very high strength
1: um You're trying to manipulate the situation to your advantage so that you can use your intellect or your strength, whichever one, you know, will win you the day.
0: As I recall, it's been a few years. I I was so into Amber when this came out and I was going to Gen Con. I would go to Phage Press and like you would actually talk to the folks who created it and it was fantastic. And, And at the time, I think I've said this before, there were always Amber games at Gen Con. So I always thought I would have a chance to play it. And. And then there started not being any Amber games at Gen Con, so it's been more <laughs> difficult to play it. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you want to, if you want a scheme for control of the multiverse spawned by your uh, player's will and imagination, this is the game for you. Um, it has a very funky mechanic for resolving conflicts between things. I'm not really doing it justice. Uh, if you're looking for the modern interpretation of this, it's Lords of Gossamer and Shadow, which is basically okay. like a modernized, uh, current release version of this. Because, unfortunately, Phage Press uh, uh, no longer uh, exists, no longer exists. And, um, and so this game is no longer, Amber is no longer in print, but, um, it is, it was cool. I'm glad I read it. It inspired, like I wanted to turn everything diceless. After I read this game. <laughs> I yeah. just never found anybody to play with.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it, 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 Tommy, yeah. Uh, thanks for commenting. Uh, you know, it, it is interesting and, and multiverse ideas are pretty insane, you know, with, with Amber, it's one of those things that, What I find interesting is like Rob Donahue, who's who's part of Evil Hat and talks about game design. He he's either talking about game design, pens, custom bags or (laughs) agile um, and and running, uh, running a team at an enterprise software sort of company like one of those four things. But they all seem to overlap in some ways Um, because so they're always interesting, at least to me. But. Even to this day, he still brings up Amber in certain certain discussions about game design because it's that impactful and has been that impactful to him. I I would still like to play, even if it's the older edition, I would still like to play it just to have played it and understand how it works, because sometimes you can even read a system, but you don't really understand the system until you've actually played it.
0: Yes, exactly. And I think the the bidding portion of this game like it requires everybody to be there at character creation which i think is one of the earliest games i had seen like this right because you can't just go and build your character on your own or you miss a big part i mean i suppose you could if you if you allow people to do some sort of point by thing but um really it's a collaborative thing um where you want to work together to to right. do it Because eventually you're going to come into conflict with one another so that you can have your Prince of Amber fighting the other Princes of Amber and then retreat into Shadow to recruit your own army to crush (laughs) your siblings. (laughs) So it's good stuff. If you haven't read Chronicles of Amber, wholeheartedly recommend it because it's fantastic.
1: The last one is a game that I have played. I'm going to have to give it an asterisk. No, I'm not going to give it an asterisk. That's that's a bad connotation. Um, I played it with a game designer. The game designer is also my friend. I met him when I was doing the Game Master show years ago. If you want to play superheroes in a world where there are aliens posing as ancient gods and your characters have the ability to change the world through their own agendas That is godsend agenda third edition. I believe it is. Uh, I played second edition. Uh, Third edition is coming out. It was successful Kickstarter. I believe it's being printed right now Uh, and it should be in hobby stores everywhere. I'm not being paid to say this. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I just really like it. The art is amazing in this edition, Um, but, but players are able to uh, craft their own superheroes and, as part of crafting it, you craft all of your characters kind of together to make a super team. And that team has an agenda. Um, I hope I'm doing it justice by explaining it this way, but like, as you play, you're trying to further your agenda, um, your team's agenda to get certain things, get certain things done. You try and achieve certain goals to, to achieve your, your ultimate agenda. And it's, so it's like superheroes with a purpose, not just, yeah. oh, we're here to defend the world. No, we're going to proactively change the world.
0: Yeah. So if you like, uh, as we we talked about, uh, w- gosh, I don't even remember what season that was. Season two? Uh, if you if you like Lord of Light by Roger Zelazny, if you like yes. The Eternals by Disney, um, those are, well, not by Disney, but like, you know, anything Marvel. <laughs> well, it is um, by Disney. It's by Marvel. It was, it was the Disney it's movie. By Disney they are all... There are yeah. many comic books that came out before it. Like uh, there are other inspirations. I'll link to the to the the episode in the show note where we talk about it extensively. But it's it's cool because it's very world buildy in a different sort of way. Like you're coming yeah. up with this agenda and you're trying to transform the world in some meaningful way. And then and you don't see a lot of games that do that.
1: Yep, uh, Lords of Light by Roger Ladny. Just to give a little context, we did have Jerry on on one episode. That is one of the seminal works for him to write the original Godsend agenda and as he said now that he has written so many games um you know he's he's written a lot of different different games he is at a point right now that he feels that this is the definitive version of Godsend agenda that he would have liked to have written after he first read Lord of Light sort of thing uh, i'm paraphrasing but as we say you know on the downside uh, i know the designer I love the concept but I haven't actually played the newest version of the game and it's not your typical superhero setting. Um right. so if you have proactive players and you want them, you know, and they have the desire to, you know, go out and proactively change the world as superheroes, I think that's the game for you. But if you have players that, you know, Lex Luthor attacks and you have to s- solve the mystery of what's going on and just punch things in the face, That's not necessarily this. You probably play the game that way, but that's not the way it's intent necessarily intended to be played. But again, the critical piece is I haven't played the newest edition, so I could be wrong.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, thanks for your attention. We love to hear from you. Uh, We are on YouTube. Uh, Twitch, Twitter, and Mastodon. There may be more by the time you get this. So head on over to layerofsecrets.com and find out all the places that we have infiltrated. And we've opened our Discord. So head over to the site and get to to the link to that as well. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next time.